0: Welcome to another episode of Expanding Circles, a podcast about origin stories of the non-super variety. Today's guest went from the Christmas city of the High Plains, to Wichita, to New York City, and all the way to Japan. Please enjoy Amanda Tomanek's story. All right, welcome to today's episode. Today with me is Amanda Tomanek. How are you today?
1: Oh, I'm doing great.
0: All right, so thanks for joining me. And as always, let's start off, let's find out where are you from?
1: Uh, I'm from a little town called Waukini, Kansas, out on I-70.
0: So is Waukini, would you consider it central Kansas, western Kansas?
1: It's right on the border between western and central. Okay. Um, I consider it western Kansas, but if you're looking at a map, some people think it's more central.
0: So, so for a diet of the state in half, it's on the left half.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: So, tell me a bit about Wachini.
1: Uh Well, it's a small town, less than 2,000 people there, so um, my high school had less people in it than some classrooms would at bigger universities, and uh, it's known as the Christmas City of the High Plains because there's a giant Christmas tree in the middle of Main Street um, from Thanksgiving to about New Year's. So.
0: Yeah, I think I've seen pictures on your Facebook feed.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a, a big deal. Um, growing up, that was a main feature. That's about the only thing going on in Wakini, but that's kind of what it's known for.
0: Well, I've never been to Wakini, but I've been to plenty of other small towns in Kansas, so...
1: Yeah, I'd say it's probably pretty similar. Got one thing going, going for
0: it, and that's kind of it.
1: Yep, pretty much, unfortunately.
0: Mostly a good experience growing up?
1: I suppose so. I mean, typical small town, rural life. Um, everybody knows everybody. Uh, when I was growing up, some of my teachers had my mom in class. And my mom and I look almost exactly alike, sound exactly alike. So there were times that they would call me by the wrong name um, because they had my mom in the same grade.
0: Not an experience I've ever had. But
1: Yeah, I mean, most people experience that with like older brothers and sisters. For right. me, it was my mom and her sister, that people were calling me the wrong name.
0: Well, I guess that also comes from your family, obviously, then been in Joaquin for a while. Yeah,
1: my family has been in Joaquin since, like, I think my grandparents moved there um, at various points, like 1950s, 1960s, but their family had lived in Kansas for a long time before that. So Kansas has kind of been home for my family for a long time.
0: There are parts of Kansas I certainly love. It's a great place in some respects.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I will say that I liked Wichita a lot better than Wachini, um, Wichita being where I went to undergrad. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad place. I don't see myself necessarily moving back there, but I can see why some people stay. I don't think I would.
0: For those of you who don't know, my father um, also lived in Kansas for mm-hmm. quite a while. Um, and taught at some small colleges and universities and more kind of central, eastern-ish Kansas. Um, so I, I spent a fair amount of time in Kansas as well. And yeah, I nice place to visit. Don't think I'd want to stay for a long time.
1: Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I feel about it now. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you went off then to Wichita?
1: Yeah. Which, I mean, most people would probably look at the size of Wichita on a map if they're from outside of the Midwest and say, oh, okay, that's another small place. But when you're going from a town of 2,000 people to a city that's, I think, Wichita itself is about 400,000 people, metro area closer to 600,000, that's a huge change.
0: I mean, in a lot of parts of the U.S., 600,000 is a yeah. reasonably good-sized city. It's, I mean, it's not obviously not Chicago, right. but it's that's a reasonably large place.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it was a big change. Um, I'm glad I did it. Um, it was a huge change to go from being able to walk everywhere growing up to having to drive if I wanted to get anywhere major. Um, Wichita, even though it is a fairly decent-sized city, doesn't really have much public transportation. Um, so even though it is a big city, in my perspective, it was still something that I had to plan where I was going, think ahead, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, because I imagine you could probably walk from one end of walking to the other in oh, yeah. half an hour or so. Something like
1: that. Like, it's about a square mile. Yeah.
0: As a lot of those towns out in central and western Kansas are. Yeah. Kind yeah. of a mile on every side.
1: Yep. Pretty much.
0: So how did you end up at uh, Wichita? What was the decision?
1: Well, okay, so like I said, um, everybody knows everybody in those small towns. And as I was talking to my classmates about where they were thinking to go for university, KU, K-State were the two big ones. Some people were thinking about going to Fort Hayes State, which is just down the road. Um, My grandfather's cousin had been president of Fort Hayes State for a while. So there's a building with my last name on it and I didn't really want to go to a school that everybody knew who I was. Um, and again, not wanting to go to school with people that I'd grown up with. Nobody else was going to Wichita State, and I was offered a decent-sized scholarship, so off I went.
0: And yeah, it became a shocker.
1: Yep. Yeah, um, I'm a big basketball fan, so it was pretty awesome to be at a school that had a good basketball program, um, even though getting tickets was hard then and still is now.
0: Yeah, because Wichita State, especially in the past, decade or so really has yeah. come on as a as a basketball school
1: yeah they really have I mean not having a football team they've kind of put all their efforts into the basketball team
0: well and I think too probably just being in Kansas in the state of Kansas which has a good basketball right. tradition that yeah at Kansas
1: mm-hmm.
0: so probably and it's rubbed off on K-State as well and yep. Wichita State now yeah so just having the good basketball in the state means everywhere gets it
1: Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, that was enjoyable. But uh, yeah, I went to Wichita State to kind of get away from everybody and uh, kind of, I guess, kind of start over in a way um, where not everybody knew who I was, where I could take the classes I wanted to take, that there wasn't any kind of preconceived notions about the type of person I was.
0: So what did you study at Wichita State?
1: Uh, It took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I spent a semester as a creative writing major, another semester as a vocal performance major, and then uh, after a semester of not being sure what I wanted to do, I settled on American history. Okay. Yeah.
0: Any particular reason for American history?
1: Uh, My family does a lot of genealogy, and most of my grandmother's family came over mm, the 1600s, 1700s, so it was something I was kind of familiar with and uh, something I had an interest in, and there were a lot of good professors at Wichita State or that I thought were good, um, that I enjoyed taking classes with, so it made sense as far as finishing in four years to go that route. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I'm yet another one of our mini history majors here. i <laughs> yeah. I've talked to Daniel. He's a history major. Yep. I was a history major mm-hmm. myself, so we, call it, we can be his history nerds all together.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay, so you uh, so you did your history major.
1: Yeah, um, which at the time seemed like a good idea. Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a museum curator. This is where I'm going to go with my life. And then the recession hit. And suddenly all of those jobs and internships and things like that were disappearing. So I had this moment of panic of, okay, I've got three years worth of credits towards this degree. What do you do with a bachelor's degree in history? Not a whole lot.
0: <laughs> nope. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. No, you don't, which is is why we have a lot of history majors as English teachers.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Okay, so you were planning to be a museum curator. That obviously didn't happen.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess in some respects I was lucky that Wichita State had something called cooperative education, which was um, a program where they helped you find a part-time job related to your field of study or what you thought you might want to do when you graduate. So you're working at this job, but you're also getting a couple credits of electives at the same time. And as I mentioned, the jobs for history, museums, those type of things had kind of disappeared at that point. Um, So my advisor suggested that I kind of broaden what I was looking at to do. And the uh, computer lab for the intensive English program was looking for a student assistant to come in. And my advisor said, look, it's not quite what you want to do, but working with international students is kind of culture. You're getting experience and exposure to people from other countries. Well, you
0: said you also had started off as a creative writing. Right, So exactly. writing was something you'd done.
1: Yeah, so I went ahead and went in for an interview, and uh, that's what I ended up doing. Um, basically, my family said, you've got to work While you're going to school, we can't support you. So it kind of did two things for me. It got me interested in something other than the history major that I was working on, but also it was a job to get me through.
0: That's important.
1: Yes. (laughs)
0: That is very important. Okay, so you're working in the writing lab. Yep. And so you're working with international students? Yes,
1: yeah.
0: Was it all international students? It was all
1: international students. So it was students who needed to get their TOEFL score or... um, the way it worked at Wichita State is if they passed a certain number of classes, then they could go study uh, in whatever major they wanted. Um, most of them were degree-seeking students from other countries, so they had um, a computer lab component to their courses that they were taking, where they were doing maybe things for their writing courses, um, listening activities, those sort of things, in a separate facility.
0: Okay. And that would then, I presume, was your first experience working with international students?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, So where I'm from, we'd occasionally have one or two study abroad students from Europe, typically, um, but only one or two at a time.
0: That would be an experience as an international student. Yeah. Turned up in Wakini.
1: Yeah, to be in the middle of nowhere. and uh, So I'd never really had that much exposure to it. Um, I'd been abroad a couple of times through my high school's foreign language club. We took trips, but never really any um, face-to-face interaction with people from other countries who were living in the United States until then.
0: Okay. Um, so
1: how long did you work in the writing lab i think i was there for two and a half years so i stayed basically the last two years of being an undergrad and then i was able to stay on the summer after i graduated
0: got a little extra work in figuring out what you're doing
1: yeah i basically what happened was um again the panic of i'm a history major and i don't know what i'm doing um plus i really liked what i was doing there so i went to my boss and i said how do i do what you do how do I get to the point where I'm working like um, a job similar to what you're doing? What he had done is gone abroad and taught for several years and then come back with the work experience. And at that point in time, that was enough to get hired at an intensive English center. Is If you had years of work experience plus a bachelor's degree, you were safe. Um, the economy being what it was and job requirements getting a little stricter, it was safer at that point to have a master's degree in teaching or English or something like that. So he encouraged me to look at schools that had graduate programs for TESOL or applied linguistics and go from there.
0: And that sets you off on this path?
1: Exactly, that's kind of what I did. Um, so I started searching, where could I go to school? Uh, Kansas doesn't really have any options for that. So in-state tuition was kind of out of the question for that. I mean, KU has a program, but it's more applied linguistics based. Um, So I started looking, where could I go, what could I do? And uh, I just decided, okay, where are there a lot of international people where I can get job experience while I'm doing this? Well, both coasts are good ideas. I'd never been to California. I had no idea about the West Coast at all. So I was like, okay, let's look New York. Let's just look there and see what's available. Um, So I put in a couple applications I jokingly put forward my application to Teachers College Columbia, not thinking I would get in because it's a difficult program to get into. Um, but I was very surprised when they um, let me know that I'd been accepted
0: well, there. <laughs> just goes to show never never count yourself out.
1: Exactly, yeah. So I decided, you know, I'd move somewhere far away, get the experience, hopefully, teaching international students in a more international setting. Um, and then figure out life from there because I had no idea at that point.
0: All right, so you move off New York. Yep, New York to for two years. Yep. How was that?
1: I it was a mixed experience. It's one of those things where I miss New York still, but I don't think I'd ever go back and live there again. Um, it's expensive.
0: Well, you've lived in a couple of the most expensive areas in the world.
1: Yeah, it's very true. Um, I was lucky I got a place in the dormitories that they have there. So I was right across the street from where I was taking classes, which was wonderful because I didn't have to worry about public transportation costs. Or um, I was living there during one of the first big snowstorms that hit New York City, where the subways were closed down for mm. days. I had a friend that was um, working in lower Manhattan, but living in Brooklyn. And she was stuck in Lower Manhattan for a couple of days, not able to get home because of the subway lines being down. So I felt very lucky to be living close to campus. But at the same time, you know, $1,200 a month rent is more than I've <laughs> ever experienced before. So that was a different, completely different lifestyle than what I experienced to that point.
0: 1200 a month?
1: In a dormitory. In the dormitory. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. That is... That's a lot. It is. I mean, it was all utilities included. I didn't have to worry about who do I need to call to get internet? Who do I need to call to install an air conditioner? That type of thing like some people that I was going to school with did, but at the same time, yeah. It's $1,200. It's $1,200, $1, which was twice what I was paying in Wichita in undergrad for a much bigger place. Yeah.
0: Um there's a lot more demand for real estate in New York than it's in It's very Wichita. true,
1: especially in Manhattan. Um, so I enjoyed the public transportation. Um, I enjoyed the food. Everything I needed was very close. I didn't have to think too much about, okay, I need groceries. How far do I have to drive? That type of thing. So I do enjoy like the city life, I figured out, but maybe not for $1,200 a month for a tiny room type of lifestyle. Yeah.
0: And so the, the school educate was that a good experience?
1: It was wonderful. I'm glad of, that I chose to go there. Um, one of the things that made that program different is they you had to do three semesters of practicum teaching, whereas I know a lot of programs, it's usually your last semester
0: mm-hmm. that you're
1: getting your teaching hours in. <clears throat> so for us, unless you'd had, I think, two years full-time teaching experience, you had to do the three practicum courses. Um, if you had two years teaching experience, you still had to do two semesters of practicum teaching. Um, For the people in the adult teaching track, not the K through 12, they had classes on campus that um, people in the local community that were um, working or we had a lot of au pairs come through, wives of graduate students, those type of people would come in and take classes um, six hours a week with us so everything was in-house that was nice I didn't have to find a place to work to get those hours in
0: nice when the school arranges it
1: exactly it was absolutely wonderful and so I feel like I had a lot more experience with being observed with my teaching lesson plans assessment those type of things than um, other programs sometimes give
0: And so would you say then the biggest drawback of your time in New York was the money?
1: I think so, really. Um, That was the main negative. It was just so expensive to do anything um, while living there. I mean, everything's expensive. Food's more expensive. Transportation wasn't too bad. I do remember um, seeing some newspaper articles about people being upset that they were raising the cost of um, the metro pass by like 10 cents or something. And people were outraged. But it's still $2.50, one direction, wherever you were going at that point in time. And that's not too bad compared to, like, here in Japan. Well, yeah,
0: because that's the thing, too, because Chicago is has also got great trains and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's a definite difference is that Chicago, the interurbans from, like, the suburbs in right. were different. But within the city, if you're on the the CTA, um, it's just one fee no matter where you're going. You just pay yeah. the same price. You just pay when you get on and you get off anywhere you want.
1: Exactly. So
0: yeah, you come to Japan and everything is a different price right. for where you're I think going. Right,
1: if I, so for example, in the summertime when it's really hot here, um, sometimes I'll be lazy and I'll take the bus and the train into school even though I'm within walking distance. It's about 25 minutes walking for me to get here from where I live. But it costs more to do that than it would for me to go somewhere, to go clear across Manhattan while living in New York, even now with the price hikes. Yeah.
0: So transportation, not so bad, but everything else. Everything
1: else, yeah. Everything else is very, very expensive. Things you wouldn't even think about being expensive um, can be, depending on where you're shopping. And I think people figure it out, but I don't know that I'd want to do that again.
0: Go to the bodegas, probably get better prices.
1: Yes, absolutely, yeah.
0: So you finish up your degree mm-hmm. at Columbia. So what, what's the next step?
1: Well, again, I was kind of like, what do I do, right? I've got this piece of paper, or I'm going to have this piece of paper that says I can teach. I know what I'm doing. Um, I emailed test date? when I was, when, I think it was April of the year I graduated. So I graduated in mid-May. In April, I sent out an email and said, hey, um, I'm graduating soon. I've got this degree. I really enjoyed working in the computer lab. Are there any teaching positions? available there and I didn't expect to hear anything back necessarily but the day of graduation um, I get an email from the director of the program there saying hey when are you going to be back in Kansas let's do an interview Um, which was pretty fantastic because I was basically moving home the day I graduated they kicked me out of the dorms day of graduation Um, my family drove from Waukini to New York City to pick up my stuff because um, it was cheaper than trying to pack it up and mail it or put it all on airplane and not have to dump things. So we've got this truck, and when I say truck, I mean like pickup truck, um, everything in the back with the tarp over it, and we drove back to Kansas. I had about three days at home, and then I drove to Wichita for an interview. And that was pretty much that. Um, Get the job? Exactly, yeah. I got the job. Basically, I thought I was just going in to talk about the job, but instead I ended up walking out with textbooks in my hands and a preliminary schedule to start teaching two weeks later.
0: So it sounds like they would kind of already decided before you... I,
1: yeah, it sounded like they were ready for me before I even got there, that they'd kind of made up their minds um, just talking about it before I arrived. It was probably the most informal interview I've ever had because basically what um, my future boss told me at the time was that I could do the paperwork for HR once I had moved to Wichita. So I had two weeks to find a place to live, move in, and prepare for my first semester of teaching full-time.
0: So what did you, what uh, sorts of classes were you teaching at Wichita?
1: Uh, it, it was kind of interesting because it was skill-based completely. So some of the classes here, obviously, are kind of skill-based, but there was a listening class, a speaking class, a separate grammar class, and a reading class. Um, for different levels, from low beginner to students who were taking classes part-time at the university. Uh, Most of the classes that I taught during my time there were intermediate to low advanced students, and then eventually I was teaching the higher advanced students, like writing classes. Um, I really enjoyed the grammar classes, even though from a pedagogical standpoint people will tell you that, well, maybe teaching grammar separately isn't the best idea, but uh, those were some of the most fun classes. Hey, you're in
0: Japan. Japan likes doing grammar classes, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I wonder if that's part of the reason I got hired here is because they had asked me what classes I had taught, and I had this long list of of grammar classes there. So, yeah, I was teaching um, in an intensive English program. So our semesters were two sessions put together, um, eight-week sessions. So you teach for eight weeks. um, You'd see the same students four or five times a week for eight weeks, and then that was it. You had a two-week turnaround, typically, and you started it all over again.
0: So were these also like degree-seeking students getting yeah. kind of getting themselves ready for the...
1: Most of them were degree-seeking students who needed to get English proficiency
0: so to be there. Yeah. Get enough English so they can go on and take regular yeah. university courses? Yeah, that
1: was kind of their goal. Some of them um, were there. So some of the most interesting students I had were um, students that were doing things for the Catholic Church. So we'd have some students studying to be priests who needed to come in the summer and work on their English before they went back to their seminary. And then we had some nuns come in, actually some Japanese nuns, who um, were being brought in to work at a nursing home where there were a lot of um, Japanese spouses that people had gotten married when they were abroad in the military because there's a, an Air Force base in Wichita. So as these spouses of the servicemen were getting older and being in care homes, they wouldn't necessarily be able to speak English anymore. And so they were trying to bring in aides who could speak their native languages. And um, so for the Japanese speaking people, they found some Japanese nuns who moved to Wichita, took some English classes with us, and then were working with the um, nursing homes there.
0: Was it a Catholic nursing home or something?
1: I, I think it was—which one was it? They had some affiliation with the Catholic Church that helped make that possible. Because yeah.
0: otherwise, why would you get Japanese nuns? I know.
1: It was the strangest thing to me as I was trying to figure out what was going on there. But um, And they themselves were older. Um, I remember talking to one of them, and she remembered doing um, bomb drills when she was a child. Um So, yeah, it was an interesting experience with some of the other people Hmm. who would come in and take classes. But the majority of my classes were degree-seeking students who would go on to get either a bachelor's degree or a master's degree.
0: From all over the world?
1: From all over the world, yeah. I think when I was there, there was a high population of students from Saudi Arabia because we had good engineering programs and business programs, which is kind of what the oil companies were seeking. Um, And the cost. So Wichita State is one of the lower cost four-year programs in the whole United States, not just in Kansas. And if I remember correctly, um, and I could be wrong here, the scholarship program that their government was giving them, basically every student got the same amount of cash money every semester. So if you could go to a cheap university, you were able to pocket more money and do things like buy fancy cars and that type of thing. So, um, yeah, those were, I would say, about half my students were students from there. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's, hmm, an interesting system.
1: Yeah, it really was. So, I would say it was like a 50 50 shot with those students. Were they serious students who wanted the engineering degree to go back and work for like a Ramco or something? Or were they students who were just coming to hang out and enjoy time in the United States, away from home, kind of get some of those wild experiences out of the way before they would go back and be serious and get married and go back to that lifestyle, yeah.
0: Hmm. So how long were you in that job?
1: I was there, again, for about two, two and a half years, something like that, Um, and I enjoyed it, um, but I could see that upward mobility was probably not, going to happen, or at least not happen, on my timeline. Um, Kansas, as some people may know, was having some budget issues and is still having um, budget issues. And the university, being a public university, had freezes on um, pay, on salary. And so basically, I was told that I could be promoted to a full-time position. But they couldn't give me the full-time position pay yet because there weren't enough of those positions open. So they told me they wanted to give me that job security and not have to rehire me every semester. Um, But just because of the way money was at the time, they weren't able to follow through on that.
0: Money controls so much, unfortunately. Yes,
1: it does. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there was one semester where... um, Basically, I was paid by the state of Kansas because I was a state employee. And if the state-level government didn't improve the budget or didn't have enough money to send out to the schools, there was a chance that I wouldn't get paid on time. So I remember there was one week that we were all very nervous because it all depended on what happened at, at Topeka, whether we would get paid or not. So that was kind of, for me, um, a little bit of a wake-up call that maybe this wasn't going to be a long-term place to be.
0: And it turned out not to be?
1: Yeah. Um, so I was trying to figure out where to go. Where did I want to be? Um, some of the places that I was looking at were in places I wasn't sure I wanted to live. Um, I got an offer from University of Arkansas, I think, and I just couldn't see myself there. Um, so I decided to go to the TESOL conference that year. Where was it that year? In Oregon, actually. It was the year it was in Portland. Um, And they have scholarships. If you don't have a lot of money, you can apply for So I got a scholarship to attend the conference. So I posted my resume on the job page that they have, that TESOL has, just to see what kind of responses that I would get because I could do interviews while I was there. So um, I remember getting an email from, from George, actually, asking me if I would be interested in interviewing while I was there, and I said, sure, why not? Yes, it's in Japan, but it's interview experience, right? Like I wasn't taking it too seriously at the time. I just thought, well, I can at least interview, see how this goes, and figure it out. So
0: at that point, were you still thinking more likely you want to stay in the States?
1: Yeah, that was kind of my plan, because a lot of the reason I went ahead and got the master's degree was so that I could teach in the States. I knew with a bachelor's degree, I could go abroad and teach somewhere, but staying stateside was kind of the goal at that point. So I wanted to stay put since that's why I'd invested the two years in New York. Um, but I thought, yeah, an interview can't hurt to do that.
0: Yeah. And obviously?
1: Yeah, obviously I'm here. Um, so I interviewed with, with George in Portland and then did the video conference interview with the bigger group. Um, and again, just didn't think that that was going to go anywhere. Um, but next thing I know, I get an email saying, hey, we'd like to hire you. Um, and, there, and I think that was like two weeks after mm-hmm. I had interviewed in Portland. And so suddenly I have to make all these decisions. I've got like three weeks to tell them what I'm going to do. Um, it was definitely more money than I was getting paid teaching at the university, mm-hmm. um, in the university system in the US. So it was, yeah, it was a difficult moment for me because that was the only real concrete job offer that I'd had at that point in time.
0: Do you have any other tenuous leads or anything at that point? Uh, At that
1: point, no. And I think some of it was the timing, right? So TESOL's at the end of March and they needed an answer by the end of April, basically, um, of what I wanted to do. And most programs, if they're hiring, don't post things until about a month before the start date, I had kind of noticed. So nobody was probably going to post anything until July. Um, So my choices were either take a chance on this or wait until July, see what happens, wait it out. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to keep doing that, so. um,
0: So the security was?
1: The job security was there. It was hard though um, because at that point my grandfather was fighting cancer. Um, He had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer about a year before that, and he'd passed his nine-month average life expectancy that people with that type of lung cancer have. So my family was kind of on edge, as it was, and so I come home one weekend and say, so that interview that I did actually panned out, here's the situation. I've got a guaranteed job for two years with more money, almost twice the money that I'm getting paid currently, Um, what should I do was kind of the situation. So my mom was adamantly against me going. um, But she was also against me moving to New York, so I wasn't terribly surprised. But uh, basically, my grandfather said, look, if this is what you want to do, go do it. So that's kind of what I decided to do, is move here and uh, give that a try.
0: So Grandpa's blessing?
1: Yep, I got that. And for me, that was enough. And uh, that's what I decided to do. That's how I ended up here.
0: Obviously like it enough to stick around for a while?
1: Yeah, um, I was kind of surprised that I did. Like Again, the goal was, okay, two years foreign experience plus two years domestic experience, that will get me a guaranteed full-time position in the US. I'll be somewhere stable, insurance, benefits, all those things will come through for me. Um, But the political climate in the United States changed around that time, so I moved here in 2014 And if you do the math on that of when my contract, my first contract here would have ended, I could kind of see the writing on the wall that um, those jobs were probably not going to be there or rather the student population was not going to be what it would need to be for me to find that sort of job. So yeah, it was kind of one of those things where I kind of saw what was coming and said, you know what, things are better where I am. I'm ahead to stay put, at least for now.
0: And you also kind of ended up in an interesting situation where you spent a semester away from us and then came back. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, I had this moment of, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to continue here? Do I want to be somewhere else? And basically what it was is the day that the decision was due, I'm sitting there staring at the piece of paper where I have to check yes or no. Yes, I want to recontract. No, I'd like to end my time here. And Um, I think I kind of felt pressured by the rest of my cohort at the time because none of them recontracted. All of them left. And so I kind of was like, okay, well, everybody else is going. So I checkmarked that, and about, I want to say, three weeks later, I had this moment of, oh, no, 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 this was a bad decision. What am I doing? went in the boss's office and said, so if I made a mistake (laughs) in my decision, uh, what do I do? Unfortunately, um, Japan being Japan, with paperwork and bureaucracy, someone had already taken their honko and honkoed the no, I was not coming back form. So the process was already too far down the road for me to retract my decision. Um, So I had to take a semester away and uh, kind of see how some of the other programs in Japan work. Um, I was working for a company that works with universities, but they're kind of like the middleman.
0: So kind of subcontracting your English teaching.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what it was. Um, And I'll admit, it was a nice break from kind of the rigor of the things that we do every day. But basically, I was working at a university teaching lessons that the company had put together. Um, so if I wanted to, I could just literally take the lesson out and do it. Um, we were obviously encouraged to be creative, change things up, keep the students interested, but we didn't have to write any tests. The exams were all pre-written, standardized, across the board, and I did that for a semester um, in Yokohama, and I love Yokohama. If I could like live in Yokohama but work in TIU and not have a two-hour commute, that would be the ideal life, but Yokohama being an hour and a half, two hours, depending on where you live from here, um, yeah, No. that would not be ideal. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know I've had students who commute from the Yokohama yeah. area, and I just, I don't know how they do it.
1: I have no idea either. Um, I like the area down there, but it's not worth the two-hour commute um, to get back here. So I did spend a semester there doing that. liked the area, didn't necessarily like um, the job itself. It wasn't bad, but having the master's degree, I kind of felt like I was, if I stayed there, I would be bored with what I was doing.
0: Kind of being underutilized.
1: Yeah. And they asked me if I would be interested in other positions that they had, but it was still not um, what I would ideally like to be doing. So I would encourage other people who are thinking about teaching in Japan to go that route. It's great. But if you've already got the master's degree, maybe look elsewhere type of thing. So I was very happy then when um, I got the email saying they'd like to interview me again. Because <laughs> um, I had to go through the full process, just like everybody else, to get rehired. Yeah. Out of,
0: out of curiosity, what was that second interview
1: like? <laughs> um, so basically it was Kevin and George, and then somebody from HR only in the room with me, um, or on, the, on Skype. So I went ahead and did a Skype call since I was living in Yokohama. And uh, the HR person just said, OK, well, I have to ask you a question that's, since it's an interview. OK. What have you been doing since you left us? <laughs> and I said, really, that's, that's the only question. So that's what I did. And I, you know, I was very professional and told them what the teaching thing was like. But um, it was five minutes of basically what have you been up to the last couple of weeks since we last spoke to you.
0: So it was just a formal, Yeah, it's a formal how you doing.
1: Yeah, basically, um, and that's that's all there was to it for that. I mean, they already had, I did my resume for them. I spelled out all the classes that I had taught while I was here, um, because I didn't want to give somebody who didn't know me, like in, a, in the HR office or in the head office, um, a reason not to hire me. So I tried to do everything properly, very Japanese way to do things. Um, But yeah, they told me I could come back, and so here I am again. Enjoying it? I am, I am glad to be back. Um, It's difficult, as I'm sure everybody else would admit, but I'd rather it be difficult than be bored with what I'm doing.
0: Having been in jobs that are boring. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's just not something that I think I can can do. I mean, I worked in insurance for three weeks. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Three weeks.
1: Um, and that's all I could handle because I was just cold calling people going through the script. I had a script that I had to follow of, you know, I'm calling from Farm Bureau, how are you doing today? And then somebody like, oh great, what do you want? Um, we'd like to give you a quote. Like I had the script I had to go through and it was just tedious. You get to the whole, okay, now I need your social security number in order for us to give you a quote. And then they yell at you because you're asking for their social security number. After doing that type of job, I knew that I could not be in a repetitive, boring job. Um, And hey, if people enjoy that, power to them. I'm not judging them at all. I just know that for myself, I'd rather be tired and mentally exhausted than um, be able to come home and not think about work.
0: How long do you think you're going to be in Japan at this point?
1: I'm, I'm thinking I may end up being a long time person, like it may become a more long-term type of thing. I enjoy it more than I had anticipated. Um, So we'll see what ends up happening.
0: And I imagine, I mean, if one of the reasons you were thinking that you came here in the first place was political climate and how things are changing. That's another consideration. That's
1: definitely another consideration. I was reading, um, I don't remember what newspaper the article was in, but how, especially in the Midwest, international students were keeping the economy going and keeping the public universities going and how those numbers have gone down. And um, I know that also from a law changing standpoint, the visa situation for those students has also changed. Where those students can't come in on one visa for both language and their degree. They're separate visas now. So it's even more difficult for students to come in. So a lot of countries, and again, Saudi Arabia is a perfect example, are trying to recruit foreign teachers to go there, so that the students can get their language education before they leave, I mean, if that's they choose
0: to. Probably one of the reasons why Saudi Arabia has become one of the places that so many people, and even here, right, so many of us have gone through have Saudi Arabia there, at or some point.
1: Go there, or yeah. yeah. Exactly. So many countries are recruiting people because it's too difficult for their students to go to the U.S. for both language study so, and for their degree.
0: So get their language skills up first, then go.
1: Right. And if get at all. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So. Um,
0: another reason to stay. Another
1: reason to stay would be that, and the you know, cost of living here is good. Um,
0: with the okay. salary we make.
1: With the salary we make, that is that is true. That that does have to be said. Yeah.
0: Because having lived in other parts of Japan,
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. this cost of living is not that great here.
1: Right, yeah. I guess in this region it's not necessarily. Um, talking to people who have moved to other parts of Japan, I think it kind of depends from from what I've heard.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um, yeah, talking to my sister, she lives, um, she's in the Marines Um, and she lives near Hiroshima, and just like talking about the different prices for things as some of her friends have gotten off-base housing. It's yeah, it's very different from what I've understood. Yeah, so will I stay in the Tokyo metro area? I don't know, but I probably will be staying in Japan. Another couple years at least. At least? Yeah. Yeah, that's the current plan at least. And after that, that? who knows? That's kind of where I am. Um, That's kind of how I've gotten through. Like I said, this wasn't part of the plan, Um, New York wasn't part of the plan, so not planning seems to be working out really well for me. I
0: I don't disagree with that. Yeah, Um, yeah. I'm okay with not planning too far ahead.
1: I I think sometimes if you plan too far ahead, that's where you get in trouble.
0: Especially once something deviates.
1: Exactly. So I think I'm going to keep not planning and see where I end up. If it's here, great. If it's not, well, okay.
0: But you wouldn't be adverse to being a long-term if not permanent expat?
1: I think I could be okay with it. Um, I mean, I do have family back in the US. I do go back frequently to see my grandmother especially, but having been here for over three years now, approaching three and a half years, yeah, I think I, think I could do it. Um, very strange thing for a person from middle of nowhere Kansas to be able to say, um, but yeah, I'm all right with it.
0: Well, if you're not careful, You'll end up being more than a dozen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's yeah, maybe not a bad thing.
0: There are a lot worse things that could happen.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it could be, it could be like my friends that live um, in New York. I've got a friend that graduated with me who is teaching in the public school system. Um, but she's not teaching English anymore. She's from Taiwan, so she's teaching Chinese. Her husband's teaching Spanish. And they're having to commute like two hours to work because they can't afford to live there, and and yeah, it's crazy. So I'd rather be doing this and be far from home than be working five jobs in order to pay rent.
0: Like I say, it seems like money kinda.
1: Money is a pull.
0: Pulls a lot of us. Yeah,
1: it it really does, and I hate admitting that, but I think it's true.
0: It's part of being a grown up.
1: Yeah, it's part of adulting, which um, is strange to say. Uh, I was thinking about that the other day, is that you know I just turned 30, I guess last year now, that's 2018. Um, and it's interesting the things that you put down like on your timeline of things that you're going to be doing with your life and uh, I'm just like wow you know I still live in an apartment I'm not married yet, a lot of my friends are married, have kids and whatnot. but I can afford my own rent and I have insurance (laughs) and I have a pension so I'm okay with that I'm you know checkmarking the major things here that need to get done so I think I'm okay I think I'm in a good place at 30 with those things being met.
0: Hey, you can do that. You're ahead of the game compared to a lot of it's people. It's
1: very true. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's all for us for today. I've had a good time.
1: Yeah, it's been very enjoyable. It's
0: been a lot of fun, and thanks for joining me. Mm-hmm. And that's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed If you have any questions for myself or any of my guests, we now have an email account. You can send questions and comments to expandingcirclespodcast at gmail.com. All one word. One more time, that's expandingcirclespodcast at gmail.com. It's spring break here, but I've still got a few more episodes coming up, so keep refreshing your podcast feed and keep listening.